so the Quran is over 6,000 verses, the Holy Quran, and about 1,400 of them I found had either a direct or an indirect relation to food. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast, episode 31. My guest tonight is the founder of Azka Farms Company and its online farming platform called Azka Basket. Truly one of the first of its kind in Saudi Arabia. They specialize in ethical farming by offering products that are local, organic, seasonal, and most importantly, sustainable, all straight from farm to table. Their mission is to promote self-sufficiency and a healthy lifestyle among Saudis by encouraging the consumption of foods that are locally sourced, fresh, and organic. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Ahmed Zaki. Thank you very much, Ahmed, for taking time and coming on the show, buddy number 31. Thank you for having me, man. So farming, that's something that you recently deviated to. I just want to know a little bit about your journey and and what took you eventually to to start this company. So I was reading a really interesting book written by um, Peter Diamandis called Abundance. What he does in this book is he touches upon a lot of industries, major industries, and envisions what they're going to look like in the future. So the section about urban and real estate development mentioned an example of urban farming and vertical farms and how they could be used on rooftops and and so on. So for me, this was sort of a totally new concept. Mm -hmm. I had no awareness about this at the time. So it started a long journey of uh, research and reading and just, you know, sort of seeking out what what the options were and what we could do uh, here. So this interest developed over the years. I didn't get a chance to actually implement it in any of our projects back at UDC. But again, in 2017, I was at another crossroads. For the first time uh, in my working life, I had some time to contemplate. I got some time to travel and learn. I did a few courses here and there in things that I was passionate about. So I suppose I was doing a lot of self-searching during that period. And in parallel to that, I was trying to learn about myself. So uh, I was doing a lot of soul searching. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Trying to identify the goals that I wanted to achieve. You know, uh, uh, I'd been working for over 12 years and I I was trying to serve my late father's vision. And that's amazing. And it's a blessing to be able to do that. But I felt I was at the stage where I needed to carve out my own um, uh, identity. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. When I started doing the research on urban farming and how to bring it uh, into our projects, I knew the only way to keep it feasible would be if it was actually implementable. So I started reaching out to experts, Mm -hmm. asking for advice and guidance, collaborations. That's when I met uh, today a dear friend, Henry Gordon Smith, the CEO of Agritecture. We had a few calls explaining to him what I wanted to do with Eska Homes and incorporating urban farms within homes to reach a certain level of self-sufficiency. Interesting. Two things that are so closely related, a home and, and food. You know, if you can get your food from a, from a farm, even if it's a vertical farm at home, I can see the, the correlation between those two elements. For sure. As, as mankind, historically, there was always a strong correlation between where people lived and between their food systems. It's only in the recent uh, 100 years max mm-hmm. or 70 years where this has been marginalized, the yeah. connection between us and nature in general and between us and our food systems. Yeah. Uh, so he helped me do the first write-up. I don't think he knew at the time how much he was helping me. Do the first write-up of what the concept behind Eska Homes was and the concept between Eska Farms was. 
Because it was new to me and I had no prior experience in the food system, I was actually considering for a few months simply taking the academic route. And because of my great grandparents and, you know, ancestors' relation with academia, both my grandparents on both sides were scholars in the Holy Mosque in Mecca. And I suppose to my, my, you know, my, my subconscious, this was something very important. My late father used to always mention this. Both my grandparents would mention that we're the first generation that, you know, stopped teaching in the Haram and the Haram, which is the Holy Mosque in Mecca. So I thought, okay, I have a lot of interest in food and I have a lot of interest in homes. And at the time I had a lot of interest in uh, currency. So obviously you have the big cryptocurrency movement and all of that and what that means, but that wasn't the main focus of why I was interested in it. So I decided to do a contemplation of the Quran on these three subjects Mm -hmm. in parallel to learning what the best practices are in the world in each of these topics. I was shocked. Uh, With what you discovered? I was shocked with what I discovered. First of all, just simply the amount of references to food and farming and the ethics of food consumption mm. and stories around it was incredible. Yeah, I found, so the Quran is over 6,000 verses, the Holy Quran, about 1,400 of them I found had either a direct or an indirect relation to food. So that was, you know, uh, an eye-opening moment for me uh, within itself. And then when I started contemplating all the ethics mentioned, because again, just to give a bit of a background, the Quran is 80% a book of morals and ethics, as opposed to a book of law, let's say. Less than 20% of the Quran actually uh, pertains to what they call halal or haram, so Mm -hmm. the permissible and impermissible. Uh, the rest is more to do with ethics. And there's a very well-known saying related to Prophet Muhammad وسلم, that the purpose for him being sent to the world was to complete good ethics mm-hmm. or good character. So there's a huge relationship between each of the three topics I researched and specifically food and the ethics of food that I found in the Quran. When I was looking at the world, and I did a really interesting course at the time in the UK with the Soil Foundation, I didn't get to finish the course, but I did get to learn a lot about uh, 40 very interesting ethical farms in the UK, and each of which had a unique definition of what it meant to ethically farm. So one of them, uh, for example, didn't utilize any technology in his farm. It was all uh, using horses and cattle and, you know, also the, the old methods. Another place were very careful with how they treated their chickens and, and so on. So it was just a really good experience for me to open up to how the world um, looks at uh, the ethics of food sourcing yeah. and how that relates to, you know, let's say Islam or the Quran or, or our religion. religion. Does your relationship with God, uh, was that something that, uh, would you say, helped you in your quest uh, to enter the farming business? Was it something that you referred to a lot or you keep referring to? I think we're all close to God, honestly. I I feel the same thing about you. So I think in our own unique way, every single one of us is designed to be close to God. Perhaps maybe I just went through certain circumstances that pushed me towards that more. So I lost... um, Allah Yerham, a best friend of mine uh, at age 18, that had a big effect on me. So before, maybe that's when I, it was sort of a turning point in, in my life. Allah Yerham, Salim Bakhishwin. And 
So it just sort of um, woke me up to my mortality, you know, at the time. And then a few years later, my father passed away, Allah Rahmu. So another hit that just woke me up to my mortality. So I suppose it was the circumstances I had to face. Faith was a way through all the pains and the hardships that, you know, all of us go through in our lives, just at different stages in different ways. So you gravitated uh, more towards. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I'm this religious person or, you know, not not necessarily, not really, um, not at all. But I do feel that I believe in God and I believe that uh, there's a purpose for us being here in this world. And for many reasons, I do really believe that the Quran is God's final message to mankind. And I used to have a hard time accepting the bad rep that Islam uh, has globally. Because my understanding, what we all grew up with, is that Islam is a religion of tolerance, of light, uh, that God sent this Quran to bring the world into light out of darkness. But then, you know, especially post 9-11, let's say pre 9-11, and we got to grow, grow up in those, in those nice days, 90s, 80s, when Islam was more related to Islamic architecture, yeah. Islamic art. So things like that made you perhaps proud to be a Muslim as opposed to the image that people got about Islam post 9-11. Yeah. So that was definitely a turning point. And they used to aggravate me. Why, you know, why is such a beautiful religion being conveyed in such an ugly manner? So that was just something I suppose in me. Ooh, the final point I'd add to that is I was blessed to have amazing role models. Yeah. Yeah. My mother, God bless her. Uh, my late father, Allah My grandparents, my uncles. Yeah. So my older brother Abdullah, he's you know he's been a really good influence on me. So if there's anything good about me, it's it's because of them. Yeah. It's because of my teachers. Yeah. We're, we're products of our environment, aren't we? For sure, you know, for sure. I'm switching gears, Ahmed. Um, in in starting this business, surely learnings, challenges, crazy days, easy days. You know, in 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 a in a quick synopsis, what's what's that experience been like? Well. You're right. Challenges, a lot of excitement. I think the biggest challenge is that I tried to link my project to an understanding of ethics from the holy book of the Quran. Mm-hmm. So that automatically puts the you know the the benchmark really high. It's frustrating because I don't want to feel that in any way I'm disrespecting uh, what I'm trying to represent. So um, I comfort myself with the last verse of the opening uh, surah of the Quran, Al-Fatiha. إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ So guide us to the correct path. So it's a path, you know. Uh, so um, I always have to remind myself that it's a path. As long as you're on the path, you do know where you want to go. It's a step-by-step process. So that's perhaps the biggest challenge uh, I've been facing. Second is documenting everything because to my knowledge, a lot of what we're doing is new. Parts of it are new. So getting all these ethics written up and how they relate to each ayah in the Quran or each verse in the Quran is a challenging uh, exercise. I've been blessed with amazing teachers and mentors and friends who are helping and colleagues with this exercise, but it's been a big part. Second is uh, building the team. Mm. You know, because when you have a new idea or concept that you'd like to to bring forward, you're only as good as your team. True. So uh, that naturally takes time. I've been going in this process, learning and 
you know, I reached the vision that I would like to implement over, let's say, the last seven years, maybe. So I can't expect anybody in a day and a night to to yeah. get it. So the so there's several challenges. That's obviously uh, two of the key challenges. I'm very lucky, actually, that the timing of the launch of Esca Farms came when the Saudi government has been really easing launching a new business. So I was able to set up my company within 48 hours. I was able to get a permit for online an online e-commerce store within two weeks. So there's a lot of infrastructure in place today that makes it easy to start a business. So typically this would have been an issue and- uh, Months, I mean. Literally. So this is, that definitely helped for sure. Yeah. So something, a word that I just always hear bouncing around is organic. I feel like it's <clears throat> overused and anyone's, you know, just taking advantage of the word organic to sell. What's your relationship with that word and how do you define it? We have an issue, I think, generally when it comes to the food system and food with definitions. So organic definitely is one of the key ones that perhaps most of us or myself a few years ago would have a perception about it, which is very different than what the write-up of an organic certification could mean in a different country. So for example, the word organic, if you name a product organic, could mean that it actually includes 30% of non-organic materials according to uh, different certifications wherever you are in the world. To me, this was a shock. You know, if you say something is organic, it means it's organic. This also applies to a lot of other phrases like um, the word natural. If someone says, this is natural, what comes to mind to the masses and myself, one of them, is that it's actually natural. It comes from the ground the way it was and, you know, nobody played with it or... And the reality is unfortunately very different than that in many cases. Same with the word fresh. So to me, this was shocking. Some supermarkets, when you go to their fresh section, the food is, if you're lucky, two to three weeks old, if not six to nine months old, based on where it was sourced from, based on how it was stored and so on. So there are a lot of things that we take for granted when it comes to our food and the definitions of the labels around our food that aren't really in line with good ethics, yeah. Yeah, in general, basically. Um, to me, organic is very important. And all the partner farms that we are currently working with through Esca Farms either have organic certification or are in the process to get organic certification or are actually really natural even because okay. some 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 farms uh, especially when they're small scale or there are a few costs that are related to organic certification that aren't necessarily uh, always justifiable for every operation so what we do is we make sure that everything is pesticide free make sure everything is chemical free and we do this through lab testing mm -hmm. uh, regularly to make sure that things are up to par. Um, with regards to like jurisdiction or location, when you have a farm, uh, how far can it cater to? Now you have one farm, I believe, right? At the moment, we have six farms. Oh God, that's, uh, that's fine. So, okay, so what I, what I did over the last few years was visited over 60 farms within a 400 kilometer proximity of Jeddah, the city uh, that we live in. Mm -hmm. And there were several reasons for this. One is because I live here. Another is because a lot of organic farms in other regions of the kingdom have developed to a really good level, especially in areas like Al-Ghassim, Tabuk, Al-Jof, even the south. 
we have some really beautiful projects and the government is giving a lot of support to any farm that converts to organic uh, farming. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that most of the farms within a 400 kilometer radius of Jeddah weren't doing that. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to get to the bottom of that. I was saddened by a lot of what I saw and I was also made very happy. Out of those 60, we selected the top six farms and uh, we now have agreements with them. Uh, each one is customized per farm to help them increase their uh, and improve their production in line with the ethics that we all believe in, but you want to be sure to put them into practice. Yeah. And then we, we, we source their produce for end users, which we sell on our platform, askabasket.com. So what is askabasket.com? Askabasket is... What we'd like to be is uh, an alternative to supermarkets. So an ethical online grocery market, let's say. And there are many reasons why we believe in this. One of them is shortening the food chain. So on average today, when we go into a regular supermarket, on average, every product or each product has traveled about 5,000 kilometers. We're able to source a big amount of what we eat not yet 100% of what we eat, that's the goal, from within 400 kilometers of where we live. So that's a key differentiator uh, that we'd like uh, you know, to be a part of moving forward. Big bonus, yeah. yeah. Makes it all, all the fresher, all the, you know, you, you know, you're getting it pretty much as it's, um, as it's ripe. For sure. That's the second point. So this is one of the key things that I think makes Eskabasket uh, unique. To my knowledge, it's the first specialized platform that brings you all the fresh produce next day from harvest. Mm -hmm. So so this is something very important. There's a lot of difference in nutritional value, in flavor before anything. You know, when you taste something that's just been harvested, it tastes very different yeah. than something that's been sitting for there sure. for weeks or months. Yeah, so, uh, so that's definitely a big factor. We live in a country that doesn't have that much rain, at least not maybe in the Western region of Saudi. Down South, you know, we get a lot more rain. Is water scarcity uh, an issue or a challenge you have to face? For sure. A lot of farms are facing uh, issues with the drying up of uh, groundwater, uh, and that's the main source. So wells historically have been the main source of farming uh, yeah. in Saudi uh, and in the Arabian Peninsula in general for generations. But we are blessed with opportunities, both natural and technological, on how to overcome that challenge. So one is uh, the positioning of uh, the Red Sea and the, uh, the Sarawat mountain range. So because of the humidity, the high levels of humidity that get caught up on that mountain range, uh, you have a huge amount of rainfall that comes onto those mountains and then ends up being uh, causing floods like the Suyul yeah, that, you know, flash, uh, floods, yeah. flash floods and so on. So, but there are ways to benefit from that. And the government has been investing heavily in a lot of dam yeah. systems and to be able to utilize all this water more efficiently. Yeah. So, so there's definitely a big opportunity there. And this is a renewable source of water because every year these get refilled with the, with the, with the rainfall. So that's one part. Another part would definitely be the, techno the technology side of things. So Saudi is one of the leading countries when it comes to the desalination uh, of water. We're improving still in that field. There's a very interesting uh, project uh, that started out of KAUST, King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, and they're called Red Sea Farms. They have developed a technology to grow 
utilizing uh, saline water, so sea, uh, water from the Red Sea, basically, in part of their growing process in their greenhouses. So there's a lot of exciting stuff. We've also been uh, in talks with a very interesting uh, technology developer, also starting out of Kaust, called Sandex. They've developed uh, an organic material that can be added onto uh, the soil that reduces the amount of water that seeps into the, uh, the deep parts of the soil. So it stays on the surface for longer, serving the plants for longer and so on. So there's a lot of interesting technology when it comes to this. So uh, it's exciting times, you know. For the, sure, yeah, for yeah. sure. Vertical farming. I also have been hearing a lot of noise about vertical farming, people getting into it, companies investing in it. Is that something that you guys see yourself getting into? For sure. What is, so, what is it, Ahmed, exactly? Vertical farming. So vertical farming is basically building vertically. So as opposed to having just a flat layer uh, that you can utilize uh, for growing, like in typical soil-based uh, farming, you can utilize the vertical as well and have basically stacks of growing beds. Um, How does the soil stay put on a vertical? Excuse my ignorance. Typically, vertical farming uses hydroponic or aquaponic technologies. Allow me to Google that. Uh, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, they're soil-less, okay. uh, typically. Sometimes you have hybrid, hybrid solutions, but uh, typically they're soil-less. And uh, they use water uh, for growing. Okay. So it works for a lot of crops, but not all crops. So it works really good for greens, some types of tomatoes and some products, but it doesn't work for things like trees or, you know, it doesn't work for all, all products, but there are definitely a lot of advantages. One of the key advantages to vertical farming is maximizing the amount of production per square meter. Okay. So that's obviously yeah. one. Two, which is, <clears throat> and touches upon your previous question, is the water saving. So I've been personally growing now at home and I have two greenhouses, uh, which I've set up. And I utilize a very small amount of water for these greenhouses relative to what we need for soil-based uh, growing. So that's definitely a big plus to hydroponic farming in general, as opposed to vertical farming. The issue with vertical farming, though it's definitely going to be a part of the future, it's already a part of the present. Shout out to uh, Mudar Nazir. Uh, Jenna Farms have done a beautiful job uh, in setting up a, really a world-class operation. So I've visited a lot of vertical farm startups, let's say, in the kingdom over the last few years. And they're definitely at the top of the list in terms of quality of production. The challenge with vertical farming is that the capex is very high. So you need to sell high yielding crops for it to be feasible. And that can be challenging. So it works in cities where you have Michelin star restaurants, where you have a lot of chefs willing to pay a premium to be able to give you know, a very unique dish but if you want to scale something like that, there are still challenges that need to be overcome. There are lower tech solutions available, but you, it affects the quality. And so there's a, it, it's, a, it's definitely a, a very interesting sector to, mm -hmm. to watch. The CEA uh, sector, which is the controlled environment agriculture sector, it's huge. So does tech play uh, a role in farming beyond vertical? Like if I say, what role does technology have in farming in 2021? Does it uh, extend beyond vertical farming? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it, it covers everything um, from irrigation to crop planning. You have drones that can analyze your crops and what your expected wow. yields are. So there's a lot of really interesting technology that can be utilized to improve farming for sure, for sure. 
uh, and it's we're living in exciting times. Uh, the government is pushing for a lot of this. We're seeing some local development when it comes to tech, and we'd like to have a role in that. So part of what we're doing as Esca Farms is we're building a database of all the farms we're dealing with and how much they're producing every week, every month, every season, what the challenges are that they're facing, uh, facing in, the, in their production to help them plan improving their, uh, their production plan, basically, uh, for the future. So this is something, minimizing waste, there's some very interesting technologies to do with um, Aska Farms is actually the Saudi uh, representative of uh, a company called Agritecture Consulting. They're one of the leading global consultants in CEA and sustainable farming. And we've been doing a lot of work with them on customizing a course for people who are lo- uh, locals who are interested in going into uh the ag tech uh, sector because what I found uh, is that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to go into the food or farming uh, sector globally of course but specifically in Saudi especially because of the, the, the support that the government is, uh, is, is giving mm-hmm. so a lot of families have had lands uh, agricultural lands that have been unutilized in the past years and now because of all the support that's coming from the government and the push that Vision 2030 is giving towards self-sufficiency. And so they want to develop them. But most of them don't have a background in farming or in food production. So what we're working now with Agritecture on, in addition to their consulting services that they provide, we're also devising these courses so that before you go in, so if you want to go into a greenhouse business, you want to set up a greenhouse, you can take this course uh, to get an understanding before you actually jump in and do that. We're doing the same for other methods of sustainable farming, including uh, dairy production uh, and also soil-based organic farming Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to CEA. For that, something we're working on with agriculture and we hope that that will make an issue, uh, that will make a difference because one of the key issues we're facing now is a lack of trained professionals working in the field. So even the families that historically had been working in agriculture, because of the oil boom and uh, you know the growth of cities, they've moved to the cities and let go of uh, you know that historical uh, job. But that's something that uh, people are trying to go back to. Before we started shooting, um, you know, we, we discussed about these four pillars that you guys uh, have at Esca Farms, and I just want to run through it quickly, and maybe you know you can just uh, chime mm-hmm. in a little bit about it. The first one is quality, clean and fresh produce, environment, seasonality and locality, fair trade, which well, we do touch on ethics and fair treatment, and then lastly, empowerment, transparency and support. Now, are, are those things that, um, that you sat with your team and, and you came up with, or is it something that you uh, got from your readings? How did you land on those four pillars? It was an attempt to summarize the ethics uh, that I found in the 1400 verses in the Quran. I had a feeling. Each of these four pillars obviously has a lot of subsections. So, for example, if you look at the fair trade uh, pillar, fair trade covers things from how workers uh, are treated at farms, things like how we financially transact. So just to give an example on that, today a lot of what we eat, based on the supermarket uh, system that we've adopted from the West, is purchased on credit. So supermarkets, 
purchase from uh, distributors or so on, and they pay them typically within 90 days uh, of that. The consignment? Yeah. And that's fine, but if we are trying to look for the purest level of financial transaction, in the Quran, we're ordered to pay on the day of harvest. Mm-hmm. And that has several effects on improving the food system. One is the way it works today, uh, agents will go and buy in bulk from these farmers for a relatively low price so that they can then wait the 90 days on the supermarkets paying them back because yeah. most farmers wouldn't be able to wait that time. So, so that affects the quality of the production at farms and how much a farmer would get. So on Eska Basket, the farm gets most of the value of what you're paying uh, when you come online to buy something. And they actually set their prices and uh, we let the market judge. So that's, that's, that's how we approach that. A very important part here is also pertaining to um, and we pay within 24 hours. When something is harvested, within 24 hours, the farm is uh, paid. So, yeah. so what you're eating from within the Eska basket has been paid for. Okay. Uh, so this is something that we believe has a metaphysical effect on our food as opposed to a direct uh, something you can analyze in a lab or yeah. uh, there's another side which is the metaphys- the metaphysical side of animal treatment at farms so we have a beautiful amount of verses that talk about how we should treat animals in the Quran we actually have a whole uh, surah or chapter in the Quran called al-baqara the cow a whole uh, um, chapter called al-an'am so livestock and uh, there's more right feel elephant um and lemil oh yeah if you want to talk about animals for sure for sure there's so, so uh, many dozens. references yeah. oh yeah, yeah for sure for sure well ahmed um you opened my eyes to something i knew not little about but nothing about honestly like so many gems in there uh, i mean I, I i love the the, the parts that you, you you know you elaborated on on tech and how that's used in farming on the religious aspects of it recently right now with the seasonality thing like there's a lot of food for thought here that um that i can take that our viewers can take and perhaps implement it into their into their daily lifestyles to live a healthier life i really appreciate all the information that you've shared all the knowledge uh, that you shared and i wish you well in in this new career path you seem to know exactly well you seem to know a lot about what you're what, what you're doing and and you're absolutely not on the right track but you're you're there like you've made a name for yourself in the market over here and i'm i look forward to hear about your expansion plans and you know getting getting more brand awareness in in, in other regions of saudi arabia is there anything you want to you know close with before before we let you go um i know you're a man of uh quotes and learnings from all the readings that you do is there something you want to leave us with before we let you go well thanks again for this opportunity if i were to put a closing word it would be that we need to be aware of how much of an impact we have on each one of us, each individual of us has on the world. And every decision we make on what to buy is either supporting good or bad somehow. So if we can just raise our level of awareness in how we transact and how we source our food and how we buy our food, uh, we could have a huge impact on the world. I'd like to leave it at that. There's a very interesting saying related to Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to the meaning of So if what you're eating is pure, your prayers to God will be accepted. 
And I think as mankind, we seem very far away from, uh, you know, from our shepherding role that we should be doing on the earth. We're destroying a lot. We're doing good, but we're doing a lot of bad as well. So awareness with this uh, will definitely help us all hopefully get closer to God. Just before I let you go, Azka, A-Z-K-A. What is, uh, what's behind that name? Um, well, thanks for asking that. There's a, a lot of people think that it's related to my name because my name is Ahmed Zaki Kamil and that wasn't done intentionally. Um, there's a verse in the chapter of the cave in the Quran. And in that verse, there are a group of friends. And when they wake up after 300 or 309 years of sleep, they send one of them to beseek the purest food in the city. The word they use for it is azka ta'ama. So the purest of foods. That, that's how Muhammad Asad translated the, the word uh, azka. I don't think it's, it's exhaustive, exhaustive enough because of how deep the Arabic language is and how specific it is. But purest food would be um, uh, an easy trans- translation of what the, the, the word azka means. So what we're trying to do now with the concept of azka is think beyond organic. We're trying to think of the whole ecosystem and what effects our food has on everything in the world. Mm-hmm. And the purer it is, the more azka it is. So this is a concept we'd like to take global. It's based on the, the ayah and the Quran. What a wicked yeah. coincidence that it's your initials. You are the chosen one. Stop. <laughs> Stop. What a wicked coincidence that, that it is your initials. It's it's amazing. Well, now you, you know that you're you know in the right business, doing the, doing the right thing. Sense the correlation. <laughs> uh, Ahmed, thanks. I uh, really appreciate honestly everything that you have uh, shared with us today. We're going to put all the links to uh, the, the 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 app, um, the website, um, information about how people can reach you, learn more about you in the description box in YouTube. And again, honestly, thank you so much for sharing your uh, your story on the Mo Show. Thanks, Mohammed. I will. Uh, I'll catch you soon. Thanks, happy. Thanks, man.